Good morning. Um, Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews 12, um, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Let's give thanks for God's word, and thanks to Brenda for reading the word for us this morning. Thanks, Brenda. Um, before we get into scripture, um, I just I wrote something on my heart, from my heart to you guys. I uh, just want to communicate my love for this church family, and just just some things that, it's been a hard week for everybody with a lot of the, the COVID news and things really um, ramping up that way, and I just want to encourage you guys. I want to give good gospel ground for us to stand on. I know that many, we've, we've, I've talked to a lot of people, uh, emailed, texted a lot of people in our church family this week, so I know that this is on everybody's heart, and so this is just some things that I, I wrote down. I want to encourage you uh, with what God is doing among us, and in the midst of uncertain times, we have a very certain God who has not removed himself from his throne, and so this is just some things that I, I wrote down. Every generation has a year or an event or a challenge that defines it. Uh, from 1346 to 1353, the Black Plague, they estimate, took sev- somewhere between 75 million and 200 million lives in Asia and throughout Eastern and Western Europe, making it the most deadly pandemic in recorded history. In 1918, uh, an American generation dealt with Spanish flu, and that Spanish flu took 675,000 lives. On top of that, that generation, simultaneously dealing with a pandemic, also dealt with World War I, to which over 115,000 soldiers died during that generation. And now we come to 2020 and the challenge comes to us. So what do we do? How do we respond? How will we look at the challenges of our day? And I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis in the context of um, the development of the atomic bomb in the 1940s. He wrote these words. He said, Do not let us begin to by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which Death itself was not a chance, but a certainty. The Church of Jesus Christ has survived the Black Plague. It has survived the Spanish Flu. It has survived wars and rumors of wars. The Church has survived every form of government and every form of political leadership. The Church of Jesus Christ has survived every secular attack with, from without and every schism from within. 
every wave of generational unbelief has had to bow before the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. So this is our moment, church, Living Waters Fellowship. This is our moment. This has been the most difficult year in a generation, and I don't think many of you would disagree with that. How will we respond to 2020? Will we quit? What will we do? Will squabbles about masks and pandemic restrictiveness and ethnic reconciliation or presidential politics take us down? No, they will not. We will not give in for a moment to anything that stands in the way of our Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He rules over every detail of our world. This COVID virus has shaken us to the core. It is shaking us. It's rattling us, our minds, and it's pushing us to the very edge of our own sanity, amen, and eternity. When we look at the virus, we feel the fragility of our lives, the briefness of our lives, the frailty of our lives. We are being confronted with the reality of death, and as we stare at that reality of death, we don't like what we see in ourselves. We are insecure. We are depressed. And in many cases... In 2020, we are all together unprepared to stand before our Maker. In this situation, many have responded with panic, fear, and uncertainty about the life to come. God is good in bringing these realities to our attention. God is very good to show us that we are not in control. Newsflash, none of us are in control. God is very good to show us that Jesus died and rose again in order to give us confidence in this day of pandemic. Our faith in Jesus gives us confidence about the life to come. God is good, and he leads people to faith in Jesus. And it is crucial, in my opinion, crucial for believers in Christ to embrace this moment by faith. We are not meant to live in fear. We were meant to prove the genuineness of our faith in the sight of God. The church will survive 2020. Can I get an amen? I believe this. The church, in fact, I believe, will thrive as long as its focus is on the promises of Almighty God. This is our moment, church. Let's stick together. Let's love one 
another. Jesus, indeed, is coming soon. And I finish with this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, Nothing is more likely to destroy a species or a nation than a determination to survive at all costs. Those who care for something else more than civilization are the only people by whom civilization is at at all likely to be preserved. Lewis says, those who want heaven more than anything else are those who serve the earth the best. Those who love man less than God do most for mankind. And he's talking about the atomic bomb. So he says, let the bomb... And I would add, let the coronavirus, and I would add, let 2020 find you doing well. Praise God, right? So I wanted to just share that with you from my heart to say, God is good and he's in control. And I want you to have joy. I have joy this morning, and I'm encouraged this morning, not by circumstances. I'm encouraged because God is good. Amen? He's good. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your word would come to us now, the word that Brenda read, and that it might have an impact on our souls. In our mind and on our heart, God, would you put your truth deep within us, deep within us, God. And Lord, I pray that this word might speak to each one of our hearts in a very specific way, in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us unequivocally that God is a sports fan. Amen? Amen. The the author of Hebrews is telling us that God is a sports fan because he uses the metaphor of track and field. He, 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 He takes the Christian life and he compares it to an athletic contest, a race, a race of faith. And so it is that God is a sports fan after all. And I remember my first 5K race. Do you guys remember your first 5K race? Some of you have never ran a 5K before. But I remember my first 5K race. I was 19 years old. It was the Viking 5K at Grandview College. And all the basketball players were required to run it. And I thought, no problem. Piece of cake. I'm a college athlete. I can do this. Well, basketball is short quick bursts of energy across the court, right? A 5K is just constant torture for 20-some minutes. I didn't realize that. I got into the race, started off way too fast, and before I knew it, my legs were burning, and I wanted to quit. And, and I, I suffered through the race. I crossed the finish line. I collapsed on the concrete sidewalk, And uh, I found out that I lost to many girls, and I also lost to some kids as well. Amen. And so since that 5K, I've learned a little bit about distance running. I have since run four half marathons, and I have learned that in order to run a half marathon, you have to have what is called endurance. Can I get a runner's amen? Right? you got to have endurance. you got to be able to push through Um, Not just quick bursts of distance, but long distance. And as I ran my first marathon, uh, half marathon, it was about mile marker nine. 
That's when my feet felt like they were on fire. It, I couldn't feel my legs, and what I could feel was a burning sensation. And so there's thousands of runners in this first race that I did, so I stopped because I just couldn't do it anymore mentally. I couldn't do it, so I started walking. And as I was walking, dozens and dozens of people are running past me. And normally in a big race like that, when you stop, uh, at least for me, I look around and I'm like, how is that person beating me? How is that person beating me? How is that person beating me? But at that point, my body was, was breaking down. So I'm walking, thousands of people in this race, dozens of people running by me, and then I hear a familiar voice. I hear the voice of my friend, Abe. Abe comes up behind me and he says, Dag it! What are you doing? Are you walking? And I, I thought, God, of all the people, thousands of runners, you led my friend Abe to call out to me at this moment of weakness and walking. And I hated Abe in that moment more than any human on the earth. Because I didn't want to hear from Abe. And Abe's talked to me and he's like, come on, let's get going. And I argued with him for a bit. And then, what do you know? I began to run again. And Abe was like Jesus to me. He, he got me running again and he ran with me all the way to the finish line. And I remember seeing that finish line for the first time and never being so happy in all my life to be done running. It took endurance. I didn't have the endurance, and, and Abe came and helped me endure to the end. And I, would, I use those illustrations because the text is going to tell us if you're going to be a Christian, and if you're going to walk by faith, you have entered into a race, and this race requires endurance. You have to run the Christian life with endurance, with a determination to keep going. And I think that's the main idea of these two verses this morning. The main idea for us is that God wants us to run the race of faith. He wants us to run the race of faith, and he wants us to do so with endurance. And I want to encourage you, even if you're not a runner physically, spiritually you are a runner if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you need perseverance. In Christianity today, there is a strong propensity within Christians to get really excited about Jesus for like this long. And then after we do this quick burst of walking with Christ, as it gets harder and it gets longer, all Christians have the propensity to say, I want to quit. I want to get out of this race. And I would say in 2020, our Christianity has been tried and it has been found wanting in a lot of ways because Christians need to understand that you can't just quit. 2020 is going to come at you. Guess what? It's coming at you next year. 2021. And who knows what that is going to bring. We as Christians must make it up in our minds that if we're going to run this race, we've got to run with endurance. So there are three questions that I want to answer for you guys this morning. In the text, I think the text answers three questions that are very applicable for us. Um, the first question is, who's in the race? Who's in this race? Okay, what, 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 what persons are in this race called faith? And then also, how should we run the race? If we're in the race, 
How do we run the race? And then finally, um, how did Jesus run the race? And then what can we learn from that? So question number one, let's dig right in. Who is in the race? Look at verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So who is in the race? It's, it's whoever us is in verse one. Who's us? The author of Hebrews is saying, let us run. All professing Christians are runners in the race. So if you're a Christian, genuinely so, you're in the race. You're the one racing. And if I know Christ, I'm the one racing. And so I just want to stop right here and say, if you don't know Jesus yet, it's time to get in the race. There are probably some in this audience that don't yet know Christ. You're not even in the race yet. You are, you're, you're sitting in your sin. You're unrepentant. You're, you're unforgiven. You're, you're being pushed and pulled by every manner of circumstance on this earth. Plus, you know deep down in your soul, you know you're not forgiven by the God of the universe. If that is you, I want to tell you about Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that you might be forgiven of your sins and you can be entered into the race toward heaven. And if you know Christ, you're in this faith race. Well, where's the race going? The race is going to heaven. Think about that. You guys, if you know Christ, you're in a race toward glory. That is the best news in all of the world. Now, if we're runners in this race, what are we called to do? It says, let us run. Right? If you are a believer in Christ, you are to run. Run. Okay, if you're a Christian, run. That doesn't mean physically run, praise God, right? It means spiritually run. It means get into prayer, get into a small group, get into a Bible study. Run the race. How are you supposed to run? You want to run to win. How do I know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Don't you know that all the runners in the race run? So run that you might obtain the prize. How should Christians run their spiritual race to heaven? How should they do that? You run like the winner runs, man. You run for the gold. Every single person runs for the gold medal. And so in the midst of that, Alex, Alexander McLaren, the great Scottish theologian, he said this. He said, continual advance is the very salt of the Christian. And unless there be such progress, there is something fatally wrong with Christianity. So McLaren is arguing from this text. He's saying, look, if you're a Christian, you should be advancing in your, in your race to heaven. You should be running. Now, sometimes that's a lot of progress. You're running like a, an Olympic sprinter. Sometimes you're barely putting one foot in front of the other. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know you've run at both paces. But there should be continual advances toward the, the finish line. And that's where, what, what McLaren is saying. So who else is in this race? We're running the race. Who else is in this race? Well, the other people in the race are the Hall of Fame runners who have gone before us. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Okay, we're, in, we're encompassed. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Who are those witnesses? Those are Old Testament saints in Hebrews chapter 11. 
We're surrounded by Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, all these individuals that are listed in Hebrews 11. We are surrounded by them. Now, there's two interpretations of this particular phrase, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Some people take this interpretation to mean that Peter, James, Paul, all the apostles, all the Old Testament saints are literally like in the stadium watching you run. You know, like Paul's watching you run and he's like, well, I thought his third lap could be a little better. I think I think I did better in Corinth than Josh Daggett did in Des Moines. I, I don't know. Like some, that's some of the interpretation, right? That, that you're literally, they're literally in the stadium watching us and it's like we're running around and the saints are there and, they're, and we're, we're running our Christian life. That's, it's an okay interpretation. I don't think it's correct. Okay, I think what the correct interpretation is here of being surrounded by the Old Testament saints is that their example has gone before us and we, we, we feel it, we see their example, and we're inspired by their Hall of Fame performance to run the race ourselves. Okay, so if you ever grew up looking at a trophy case, did you guys ever do that in high school? I used to do that. As a junior high kid, I would go up to the high school trophy case and I'd see which of my favorite sports, where we had qualified for state, and what were the best teams. And I used to study these old pictures of these old sports teams and I would memorize the names of the old players that had gone before me from my school and I said, I'm going to be like them. We're going to go to state. We're going to do this stuff. And it, and it really inspired my performance during the season because I wanted to live up to the examples of those people who have gone before me. That's more of the sense of this word. Verse 1 is saying, look at the examples. Look at the witnesses of all these Old Testament saints who have gone before. And that's the fuel by which we run our race that's the motivation. We want, we want to run like they ran. Um, the word witnesses there is where we get our, our word martyr. Um, so the witnesses of the Old Testament are literally like the martyrs of the past. We see their example and we say, let's follow them. Now, we live in 2020, so we have 2,000 years of church history now where we have Fox's book of, book of Martyrs. We have all these stories of 2,000 years of great men and women who have run before us, and we should be very familiar with Christian biography. You want to be encouraged during a pandemic year? Yeah, everybody? Yeah. Read Christian biography. See what has happened in the lives of believers in the past. And as you look at their examples, you say, whoa, God, help me live like them. Help me live like Jim Elliott. Help me live like William Carey. Help me live like Amy Carmichael. Help me live like some of these great heroes of the past. So who is in the race? You're in the race. And I'm in the race to heaven. And so are those Hall of Fame runners that have gone before us. Praise God. Secondly, how should we run? How are we supposed to run this race? Verses 1 and verse 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So the first thing that we want to look at is how we should run. We should run with endurance. Christians are to run with endurance. And that word, it means steadfastness. 
We are to run with steadfast attitudes, steadfast souls. We are to be consistent. We are to be uh, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved to the left or to the right from a deliberate purpose. We are to be unmoved to the left or to the right on the purpose of running to heaven. We need to develop the attitude as a Christian that we are not going to give up. We are going to steadily look at our goal and we are going to continue to make progress and nobody will swerve us off of our focus. So we're supposed to run with endurance. How are you doing this morning? We live in a day of social media, short attention spans. We live in a day of being twisted, pushed, and pulled to the left or to the right, up and down and all around. And when we get pulled, our endurance is being tested. And I'm talking about our endurance for Jesus. Our endurance for Christ is being tested when we are being pushed and pulled by everything around us. Uh, Matthew Henry said Christians should not faint underneath their trials. Christian, how are you doing this morning? Are you fainting underneath your trials? Are you being distracted to the left or to the right? We are to run to heaven with endurance. Um, it was really cool to watch my daughter run cross country this fall. And I didn't know anything about cross country in July. I knew almost zero rules. And, and my daughter said, I want to run cross country. I said, okay, that's fine. I found out some rules, that, some things I'm not supposed to do. I found out those things. Um, you know, you're not supposed to run next to your daughter when she's racing. Did you know that? You're not supposed to do that. I didn't know that. And so, like, for one of the meets, I'm, like, running next to her. Like, you can do it. Let's go. And someone who knew the rules pulled me aside and said, Josh, what you're doing is quite illegal. It's called pacing. And I'm like, oh. What a lame rule that is. I think it's fun to what, run next to your girl and see, watch her run fast. So I, I also learned that cross-country runners, their mentality is just really different than every other sport because they're not running for 100 meters. They're not running for 200 meters. They're running 3.1 miles. And so to watch these girls and their attitudes, even my own daughter, I'm just really impressed. Like she's, she's really mentally tough, more mentally tough than her father. Amen. Like she's just pushing through and, and to watch these girls run together and to run with determination and to run with endurance, it was awesome. And at the end of the fall, they qualified for the state meet for the first time in 39 years. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And it was really a fun journey for us. But what I learned from cross country was the endurance factor. It's like an illustration of this verse. If, if I'm running to heaven, and if you're running to heaven through salvation in Christ, we are not running for 400 meters. We are running for a lot longer time period than that, and we have to stay determined. No matter what happens, we have to stay determined on the course to finish. So we run with endurance. And then what else do we run? Well, we run uh, with lightness, if we can, with, with, with less weight. Um, you can see it says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So it would be ridiculous uh, for uh, my daughter or any of her cross-country teammates to show up with, with Iowa winter clothes on, right? 16 layers of, of a February winter in Iowa 
and you show up to a cross-country meet, you know, jumping up and down, you're warm, ready to go. You're not winning any races if you show up with 16 layers on. If you show up to a track and field meet in the spring and you've got all these clothes on, people are going to think you're cuckoo for cocoa puffs, right? You got to take the clothes off. You got to lay aside anything that is not helpful for the race. And just as racers do that, so we in their Christian life, we are to lay aside any sin which clings so closely to us. In the, in the race to heaven, if there is sin in our lives, sin is weight. Some of you got unconfessed sin in your life right now, and it is a weight on your shoulders. You're trying to run to heaven, and you're trying to run like for the gold medal, but you have so much weight and baggage going on, you haven't let it go, and you need to set it aside. That is an intentional step of Scripture. You have to lay it down. So how are you doing laying down your sin? Like intentionally putting it down. How are you doing with that? We often ask in, in life, why am I so sad? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so anxious? Why do I not have faith right now? Why is God, does he seem so distant? Could it be that there is sin that is clinging to your mind and heart that is keeping you from running? I think so. For some of us, we need to search our hearts this morning and say, God, if there is stuff inside my heart that I just need to lay aside, make it clear and I'll lay it aside today. Uh, we need to run without the weights. Finally, we need to um, keep our eyes on Jesus. Looking to Jesus at the beginning of verse 2. We are to run our faith race to heaven looking to Jesus. We have to keep our eyes on Christ because he's sitting at the finish line waiting for us and he's saying, to, he's saying your name out loud. He's saying, come on, come on, come to the finish line. I'm here for you. And you have to lock in with your Savior and you got to lock in with your eyes. Eyes are really important in sports. Like where you put your eyes in sports is really, really important. So I'm a big-time basketball coach. I don't know if you knew that. I coach first and second grade girls. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm kind of a big deal. And so I was coaching the first and second grade girls yesterday, and we're doing little shooting drills around the basket, right? And I put them in three, three uh, lines, and I said, okay, we're going to work on shooting. I'm going to teach you how to shoot. So, you know, you're going to do your form and your follow-through and all the different things you do with basketball. And I said, but girls, the most important thing about shooting is your eyes and where they look. You have to look at the right spot on that rim. Because if you don't look at the right spot, you could be looking at mom and trying to shoot. You're never going to make a basket. And we talked about our eyes. And, and my daughter, God bless her, okay, my oldest daughter, um, in track and field, it doesn't work well when you look at mom and dad coming down the straightaway of the finish of a race. But that's what my Marie did a couple years ago. She's running around, running on the track. She's running 800 meters. We're cheering her on. Yeah, go, girl, go. And, and lit literally, literally, she's running on the track. She comes next to our section of the stands. And she's like, hi, mom, hi, dad. And we're like, no, don't do that. Look straight ahead. 
And she was, oh, okay. And then like after the race, we're like, what are you doing? She's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just having fun. This is not for fun. <laughs> this is to win. And she was just like, okay, dad, you're creeping me out. I'm like, look at the finish line. The finish line. Look straight ahead. Don't look at me. Right? I'm just a dad on, in row eight. I don't, I don't matter. Look ahead. In the Christian life, we are to fix our gaze on Christ. Church, we're running to heaven. This is a faith race. Jesus is at the finish line of our race. We don't need to look to the stands of this world and all the distractions and wave at them and smile and do you like me and do you care for me and do you, am I doing everything right? Like we need to fix our gaze on Christ. That's how we run. That's how we win is looking to Jesus. And when we do that, Jesus stirs up holy affections inside of us that keep us fired up and keep us going because we look in his eyes. You look at the eyes of Jesus? You should. You're going to be looking at his eyes when you step into glory. Praise God. You might as well get a head start on heaven and look at his eyes right now. So that's how we should run. And finally, who is Jesus and how did he run? Who is Jesus and how did he run? We're looking to Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who is Jesus? He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. The word founder there, it means the person who takes the lead and then, and then gives the example. Like it's the person who's ahead and gives the example to those who are behind. So the greatest runners that I've ever seen um, finish and win races, right? But what runners do after they win races is more important to me than whether they win or not. The racers that I've seen even this year and last year are the racers who win. And then they come back to wait for their teammates. Those type of, of racers are so impressive. And they are the founder. That's the idea of the word. Jesus crosses the finish line and then he turns around and he looks and he waits for you and me. How awesome is this? Have you ever had a gold medalist waiting for you in anything in your life? Christ is the gold medalist of faith and eternity and he's waiting for you. That's amazing. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who brings our faith to completion uh, Philippians 1.6 comes to mind. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Jesus has already run this faith race. He's endured to the end. He's already gone before us. And he had to endure many things. Okay, Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what did Jesus have to endure in his race? Well, terrible things. He had the opposition and the humiliation of sinners. How many whips did Jesus take on his back? How many punches to the face did Jesus take from the guards? How many, how many words of 
derogatory, offensive language did he take from all the people? How many times did Jesus get um, ripped apart physically on his way to the cross? How many, how many moments did he feel the agony of his own Father in heaven turning away from him and pouring the wrath of God, the punishment of, of sin upon Jesus? How much did he endure in his race? A lot more than anything we will ever endure in our race. Jesus Christ endured all of these things, and yet it says he despised the shame. Now you, that, you might run past that phrase, but this phrase is crazy important. It means that he thought little of the shame. He didn't think much of it. He went through all of this shame, all of this suffering, and he, he thought nothing of it. How did he do that? How did Jesus go through so much and yet think nothing of it? How did he get stripped naked and yet think, ah, it's not a big deal? How did he get put on the cross, nails in his wrists and his feet, and still just like, ah, that's nothing, that's no big deal? How did he do that? Don't you wonder how he endured that race? He did it, the scripture says, for the joy that was set before him. Jesus had joy in his heart in the middle of all of his sufferings to the cross. And that joy carried him through. What was his joy? What was he looking forward to? He was looking forward to his own resurrection. He knew that anything he had to suffer on the cross, he would re resurrect from. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 10, guarantees that Christ would raise again. Christ was thinking of his own resurrection. What else was he thinking about? He was thinking about being reunited with his Father. He was thinking about being on the throne at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus was thinking about that. He was thinking about you and me, a people purchased by his blood, and he was thinking about the day you would arrive in heaven. And the glory of that moment. When your race is done and my race is done, and there is, there is only one king on the throne, there's no president of the United States anymore, there's no government rising up against government and all these things, there's only one king on the throne and his name is Christ and we will be reunited with him. And the moment we enter into heaven, that joy, that incredible joy is what carried Christ through the cross. Now I want you to think about your own life. We are called to run our race to heaven. This will not be an easy race. It will be filled with agony and pain at times. You will be mistreated for being a Christian. You will be spoken down of because you are a believer. If you are sharing Christ with other people, you will be rejected because you are a believer in Jesus Christ. How do you deal with that? How do you think nothing of that? How do you despise the shame of being a Christ follower in 2020? How do you say that's no big deal? I can suffer for that. How do you do it? You do it for the joy that is set before you. 
the moment you enter into eternity, every moment of suffering will be worth it. You will see everything of what your life was all about. Every cancer diagnosis, every hard health situation that you're dealing with, every family um, situation that's devastating to you right now, every single uh, injustice that has ever been done, you will see all of it. And that's the joy that is set before you as a Christian. To say, I'll endure anything, anything. Say whatever you want about me, throw me in jail, do whatever you want to do to me. I'm on a race to glory. So as we close, church, if you're a believer, run. 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 Life is a vapor, James says. Run. Even if you're just making like a little bit of progress, run. We are on a race to heaven. It is a faith race. And if you're a believer in Christ, run with endurance. Endurance will be required from you in these days and the days to come. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's waiting for you. And if you're running for him, if life's going to be hard, you might as well take as many people to heaven as you can with you. Amen? If, we gotta, if we're going to run this race, we might as well take as many people as possible with us to glory. So introduce some people to Jesus even this week. Um, let's see what time we got. Yeah, we're running short on time. So what we're going to do is just everybody stand up. I'll close us in a word of prayer. Church, this is a faith race. God is so good. He's working right now. I trust that your race will be pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible opportunity that you've given us this morning to be in your word. Lord, it's so good for Christians to see other Christians in fellowship and build one another up. It's so good for us to sing praises to you, God. It's so good for us to hear your word. It's so good for us to make decisions about our lives. So, Lord, I pray for every Christian in here that they would run, that they would run with endurance, that they would run with joy in their hearts because, Jesus, you have run before us. You have saved us, and we are saved to run. Help us to run well today and every day after this. And God, if there's anybody here that does not yet know Christ as Savior, Lord, would you please save them this morning? Would you please cause them to see their sin? And Lord, may they enter into this faith race for the very first time through repentance and through faith. And Lord, we're thankful that you would be pleased to meet with us this morning. Bless your church at Living Waters. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Have a great day. You're dismissed.